Hello, I'm Robert Kamins. I'm Frank Gilman. And this is the Vertex Angle. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Frank, you know, it, it's interesting. I was talking to one of our clients yesterday on the East Coast uh, in the Northeast, and they're were, they were mapping out the strategic plan for the year. And the first thing they said to me uh, coming out of COVID that's on their minds is that top talent needs to be, you know, just, just the biggest priority right now, uh, given the level of competition right now in the marketplace for new talents uh, relative to the rival firms. Uh, it's, it's an amazing theme that we're seeing as strongly as ever. No, you're not wrong. Look, and, and that makes it all the more serendipitous and timely that we are joined for this episode of the Vertex Angle by our colleague, Beth Cavanolo to talk about talent management and law firms, how to build sustained firm culture, how that's impacting return to work strategies and diversity initiatives, all sorts of good stuff. Welcome, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. Our pleasure, our pleasure. So, Beth, Given your career in talent management as an executive, as firms begin at least what we've seen as a partial return to the office, are there best practices you recommend for balancing employee flexibility with firm culture in a hybrid work environment? Well, I think one of the best things we're seeing is that firms are taking a tiered approach to returning to the office. Um, We're seeing a lot of folks practice returning to the office by asking people to be there just a few days a week. Um, They're setting dates out into the future when they are expecting people to be in the office more frequently. And that gives people an opportunity to sort of build up the muscle of returning to the office and getting back into the groove of, of working in a shared space with one another. Some places that I think that firms um, could be doing maybe a little bit of a better job or be thinking a little more proactively is how they actually expect their teams to be working together on a regular basis. There are going to be some teams based on client needs and various ongoing projects, as well as simply the calendar year. Some teams are busier at the beginning of the year than they are at the end of the year when people will will need to be working together much more closely and in physical proximity to each other. And so in those situations, I strongly recommend that partners have open, honest conversations with their associates and counsel about exactly what is expected with respect to working in the office one another. So what days of the week will the members of the team agree to being in the office? Um, What Under what circumstances will there be more flexibility for people to be working remotely in crunch times, right? Um, And and those kinds of considerations, um, mapping out the actual expectations gives people boundaries and gives people the opportunity to schedule their lives in a better way. It's also really helpful for the firm because the last thing you want is to have no one in your offices on Mondays or Fridays. And let's be honest, if left to their own devices, many people would prefer to be working in the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays (laughs) than it would be on Mondays or Fridays. So I think being really clear about those expectations is going to benefit folks as they return to the office. Thank you. No, that, that, that those are great thoughts. You know, it sounds like uh, you need to reach a balance in the organization uh, between remote work, on-site work, hybrid work. Uh, against the backdrop, too, one of the things I've been fascinated with for, for the last couple of months of, you know, trying to develop talent, uh, junior talent, or even experienced talent, uh, really to get the best out of them 
how can you develop and retain talent under such conditions when some people are going to be there some days, not other days? And how do you do it? What, what kind of uh, thoughts come to your mind about what would make an effective talent management and talent development program under these conditions? Well, again, I think it's really listening to the employees and taking that into consideration, but it's also about what works for your firm. You know, one thing that keeps coming up in my conversations with people is this idea that um, every law firm in the country, I guess, only engages in hallway staffing. So like people only receive assignments if a partner can lay eyes on them. One solution might be to put in, if you haven't already, a robust work coordination system that relies on technology and communication with your, with your associates to ensure that people are getting a diversity of work, you're creating diverse teams of people, and that the right assignments are getting to associates at the right time in their career. Um, and that's just one example of how technology can be used as a tool to intervene in this sort of weird hybrid work environment where we don't lay eyes on each other all the time. Other places firms may want to think about um, sort of being in person versus being remote would be when you're welcoming a new team, when you're welcoming associates. Um, orientation isn't something that's done really well remotely. Um, I've had an opportunity to work even um, outside of law firms and orientation done over Zoom isn't as effective if you can be in person with someone. There's just something about shaking someone's hand on their first day at the office that, that can't, there's no substitute for that. Uh, and so thinking about those discrete situations that bring people together, um, mentoring programs, brown bag lunches, training sessions that can happen in person in the office. You know, it's it's not just about the day-to-day -day work, it's about the social aspects of being in the office together that we've really missed over the course of this past year. And so being honest about that, um, I think is gonna be really meaningful going forward. So I heard you mention, you, you talked about the diversity of uh, work environments, the diversity of work assignments, and obviously we we are living through a period of significant social change. So when we're talking about talent, you know, how can this effectively align with in-house diversity programs, or does that require a separate focus? You know, said differently, maybe you know, what's the nexus between talent development and diversity in the legal profession these days? I think that we would all like to say that, that if that's a Venn diagram, it should be an overlapping circle. But we know that that's not necessarily true in law firms. So what I would like to say is it's okay to talk openly and honestly about diversity in all of its aspects. It is perfectly acceptable to keep your eye on numbers and to look around you and, and think about who is being staffed on teams and why. Um, if we aren't honest about what diversity means and looks like, that's where we begin to fail. We begin to skirt the issue. We get stuck in our unconscious biases. Um, we begin to sort of talk in code with one another. And I don't think that's really honest. So I think it's about, it's about taking any of those conversations that have been happening sort of covertly or under the table and bringing them out into the light and saying, you know what, we do have a problem with diversity here. Let's start recruiting at other schools. Let's um, get involved in job fairs that are directly targeting diver interesting, diverse, skilled law students. 
Um, let's engage in interview training that allows us to uncover our own unconscious biases and bring those to light so that we can mitigate them as part of a candidate analysis. Um, let's talk about what mentoring means and not just mentoring, but sponsorship for women and attorneys of color and LGBTQIA attorneys and what it looks like to actually platform someone for leadership success at the organization at the organizational level. Um, it's not enough to pretend that men and women show up as leaders in the same way, because if we're honest, we don't. And that's good. You don't want everybody in your organization to be thinking in the same way. And that means getting out of the idea that everybody thinks in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Diversity requires intentional focus. And again, I just want to say it's okay to do that. <laughs> right. No, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of times I think people sometimes they're not sure which direction to go, so they don't go anywhere. And and it's right. better to at least take a step forward in, mm -hmm. in some way and mm -hmm. be, because that you're better off, right? It, it's right. the start of something. And, yep. and hopefully the start of something exciting. Um, I'm not going to let you get away with asking you at least one question about technology, right? Because I, I would feel I'm doing a disservice, right? So, so here's my question. How, you know, how do automation opportunities and technology innovation, which we see significantly, uh, you know, certainly in the legal space, uh, probably more uh, in the last, you know, people joke that in the last 10 years, attorneys and people have learned more about technology in the last 10 years or in the last one year than they've last than they've learned in the last 10. You know, do you see the rise of artificial intelligence usage threatening traditional law firm models, especially including, you know, with regard to assignments that were potentially training or development opportunities for associates in the past? So I'm going to be honest. I do see AI and technology as being a quote unquote threat to law firms. I think it's a good threat. I think it's an opportunity for us to get people out from underneath like rote memo writing and rote uh, e-discovery and begin working on different types of leadership skills. I mean, there are companies who do that work for you. And so why wouldn't you maximize efficiency in your law firm? Um, because you've hired, if you've done it right, you've hired incredibly intelligent people to do to work on very important matters that are of great significance to your clients. And so you certainly don't want that talent wasting away, you know, under the burden of, of these of, of rote, um, you know, daily tasks, mundane tasks. And so, you know, in much the same way that I mean, look, shepherdizing still exists, right? We have technology that does it for us, but you still better have read that case. You still better know what it means before you go in front of the judge. So those types of skills aren't aren't really going to go away. What we do have to think about is training our associates to use that technology effectively and efficiently, and then springboarding that and leveraging those skills into leading teams, consulting with clients, and doing some of that higher level work that, that maybe associates weren't able to do until their fourth or fifth years. In some way, now you have an even better talent development trajectory because you don't have people wasting away in their first or second years with sort of unfortunately boring tasks. Um, but also a lot of that's always going to exist in law firms. 
Uh, so I don't think law firms should shy away from adopting technology or being innovative in this space because they're worried that junior associates won't know how to write a brief. I, that, I, 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 in all, in my almost 20 years in law firms, I've, I have yet to see the importance of, of those skills go away. Um, I, it's, it will always be important. It'll just happen in a different way. Interesting. That's fascinating. You know, you're talking about the uh, the emerging lawyers, right? Uh, and uh, at the other end of the spectrum, one of the trends that's been fascinating through, um, you know, we can see this through tools and announcements of law firms or through uh, LinkedIn, uh, people's profile updates. Uh, we're seeing baby boomers, a shift going on there, retirements, uh, moving away from firms of increasing rate. Uh, and so firms have to adapt, right? They have to invest in their talents, attract in this the, the millennial and the now the Zoomers, the Generation Z talents. Um, what areas should the firms be targeting in their recruitment in order to make or, or, or developing their firms in a certain way to attract the right talent going forward in this changing marketplace? Mm-hmm. Well, I think this harkens back to sort of the initial part of our conversation where things like flexibility means a lot to people. Um, these generations expect to work with openly diverse teams of people um, and, and people who come from different walks of life and who have different backgrounds. They don't want to work with people who are just like them. So the focus on diversity is key. Um, law firms that have some level of social consciousness and social responsibility has become even more important to these younger generations. They want to know that their personal values are aligned with the values of the place where they work. You know, we laugh a lot that like work is something you do. It isn't a place where you go to anymore. But people's identities, especially in the legal profession, continue to be very tied up in the name of the firm that they work with. And they want to ensure that they're working with a firm that's doing, you know, more good in the world than not. Right. Um, I also think that um, things like you know, we can't shy away from benefits and compensation uh, and mentoring and feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself. It isn't so great anymore for people just be like, well, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer who does X, Y, and Z. This is the impact that I make on the world. This is the contribution that I've had to making the world a better place to live for everyone. That's a very important focus of younger generations that we simply cannot overlook. There's a a lot of really great leadership people doing leadership training, leadership development who want you to focus on why people are there, why people come to work with you every day. And it isn't just about having a paycheck anymore. It's about being part of something more important. That, that seems so true. I mean, you look at the amount of communications that uh, law firms are producing regarding uh, social messaging. I mean, I think it started with some of the, um, you know, racial protests uh, a year ago uh, and then uh, continued in other events and other political things uh, that typically, you know, firms would be hands off about it. Now they routinely are sending out, you know, messages about this historical month or honoring these people or, or you know, uh, whatever uh, is being celebrated at a given time, really stamping that as part of their identity and also that they embrace it. At the other end of the spectrum, I want to ask you about uh, the, 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 those who are moving out, right? They, we talked about the baby boomers retiring. Um, what, what does that mean for firms? Should they refocus their efforts on succession planning uh, instead of retirement planning? Uh, or, or are those interrelated concepts? And I love your thoughts on that because I know you've mm-hmm. dealt with this. 
Well, let's be honest. It's a good thing when you have some turnover in your organization. Um, as an HR professional, we know, I know, and I've seen it happen in firms where you get stagnation uh, and you just, you don't have um, new ideas, creativity, new energy coming into your firm. And so, look, let's, baby boomers have built tremendous institutions that will last the, the test of time. And so this is really beginning to thinking about what is the legacy of these boomers? Who will look to them as, you know, I was mentored by so-and-so at such-and-such firm. Like that becomes part of someone's identity and resume. At the same time, succession planning as an overarching umbrella of, of all these of leadership ideas is incredibly important. So firms right now, if you haven't already, need to begin talking about succession planning in general. That means who, who are your leaders in your organization? What are you doing to identify them? How are you creating them? How are you developing them and bringing them up in the culture of your firm? Um, also, you know, what, what do those leadership roles look like for people who are gonna be office heads, practice group leaders? That's all part of succession planning and plays directly into retirement planning, which is just another form of succession planning. What are we going to do with our clients and our associates when this key partner is no longer practicing law on a regular basis? And that's a, that is a really important conversation to be had and flows in generally into leadership development at the firm. I would say, I mean, you're right. It's an important conversation. I would also uh, presume it's, it's fairly, a, it's a sensitive um, conversation as well, right? Because there's, you know, we all know, you know, politics and law firms are, are are intertwined in a significant way. So, you know, do you have any suggestions or, or how-tos for firms to handle broaching such a difficult conversation, potentially difficult conversation? Sure. And this has to be done with sensitivity and compassion, right? Recognizing again that lawyers' identities are very much tied up in being a lawyer. And that's okay. Um, but interestingly, in juxtaposition to the diversity conversation where I said, focus on numbers, focus on individuals, this is a case where you should focus on the broader picture of your partnership. Don't single anyone. If you haven't been already having these conversations in your organization, singling people out to have retirement planning conversations can feel really, really icky. So start with all of your partners, maybe start retirement planning conversations with your mid-level partners and not people who are going to be retiring immediately. So you kind of can practice, if you will, having those conversations with folks who are going to be leaving in five years or 10 years or even 15 years, like conversations with brand new partners about what their career trajectory looks like isn't a bad thing to be having. Like you can get a really good idea about what people's career goals might be. And so start at your lower ranks, have routine conversations that happen on an annual basis as part of the compensation process, or even separate from it if you want to de-link those two things. Um, nothing should be a surprise to people. And so being, again, open and honest, which I think are key, key things law firms can be cultivating in their cultures right now, is going to be helpful in having those sensitive conversations with people who may not be ready to yet leave the practice of law, but you could be coming up with creative ways to help them transition into retirement and a different way of engaging with the law firm. Excellent. No, thank, thank you for those thoughts, Beth. You know, you've covered a lot of ground here. 
Uh, I always like to ask a question at the end. Uh, have we missed anything? I mean, there's so many. I mean, obviously we could go on all day, but but you know, big picture themes or topics that are out there. Uh, you know, or, or, or maybe ask differently. You know, what one thing do firms need to think more about or often get wrong? Uh, I'd love to get a closing closing thought from you on that. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lob this into the conversation here at the end. <laughs> Um, Here it comes. All right, go for it. We're ready. We're ready. We're game. Compensation paradox, right? Um, We are really moving to a place where there is more and more pressure on what it means to have a billable hour as the economic model within law firms. Young associates understand that they're they're not necessarily being compensated in full for the labor that they contribute to the law firms. So what is the overarching value of AFAs? What is the overarching value of your associates and how can you package work and and work for clients in a way that feels fair both to the associates and to the greater model of the law firm? Um, That is a great big conversation that I'm sure that we'll all be having in the future, particularly as we begin to deal with this sort of return to work idea um, and having balance between being at home and being in the office. Thank you. Thank you so much, Beth. That is an excellent point. And thank you for joining us today. We want to thank everybody out there in the audience uh, for listening. If you're if you're interested, if you have challenges in the talent development uh, side, you know, we really encourage you to reach out to us, uh, contact us. That's what we are here for. That's what we that's what we enjoy most is is really helping firms transition and transform into into their next uh, chapter. So there are links. Uh, within the episode, uh, the episode summary, or you can reach out to us on our website, which is www.vertexadvisorsgroup.com. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll see you next time for the next episode.